Matthew 1, verses 1 through 5. Let's stand together as we read God's word. Uh, This has become a very familiar passage because we have been reading this every week for the past three weeks. Uh, We pick it up again this morning, um, and we will be back and forth throughout Scripture, uh, throughout the Bible. Um, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Nishon. And Nishon begot Solomon. Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, and Obed, Obed begot Jesse. Father, once again, we look into your word, and we recognize quickly This beautiful picture of salvation, a beautiful picture of faith, when we mention Rahab. We know of that former life. And just as those men who were here yesterday heard that death, the old man, had to die, for her old life died from a harlot to one who is recognized in the halls of faith as some of the greatest men and women to ever live. And we recognize her faithfulness throughout Scripture. Lord God, let us be found faithful today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. So a lot of you have asked, maybe, why in the world does he keep talking about Rahab? Y'all, I believe there's so much that we can learn from uh, a person like Rahab. A woman who by... Most accounts would not have been respected because of who she was, as the Bible describes her oftentimes as the harlot Rahab. Um, we know that her lifestyle prior to coming to faith was, was very, very, very tough. Uh, a lot of bad decisions were made along the way um, by the lifestyle that she was choosing. And so what we know about Rahab is that she was a Canaanite. She was part of the land of Canaan. And so the question then is, well, who were the Canaanite people? The Canaanites were a group of ancient people who lived in the land of Canaan on the eastern shores of the Mediterranean Sea. Canaan is described in the Bible as extending from Lebanon toward the brook of Egypt in the south and the Jordan River Valley in the east. And we know that they crossed over the Jordan in order to enter in to the promised land the children of Israel did. Um, in the Bible, notably Genesis 10 and Numbers 34, this was called the land of Canaan and occupies the same area that is occupied by modern Lebanon and Israel, plus parts of Jordan and Syria today. The Canaanites uh, are mentioned over 150 times in the Bible. So obviously, uh, there's a lot to be learned because of the 150 times they're mentioned. They were a wicked and idolatrous people. They were the descendants of Noah's grandson, um, Canaan, who was a son of Ham. Now, Ham, if you remember, was cursed because he went in and saw the nakedness of his father and made a big deal about it. And from there, uh, his lineage, his family line was pretty much cursed from that point forward. 
Um, in some passages, Canaanites specifically refers to the people of the lowlands and plains of Canaan. In other passages, Canaanites is used more broadly to refer to all the inhabitants of the land, including, and you'll know, you'll recognize some of these names, the Hivites, the Girgashites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites. That's a lot of good names, right? But you've heard of those names before. So basically, the Canaanites, if we're to be honest, they were not good people. They're not folks that you're going to look at your daughter and say, go marry one of those people. Right? How many of you, how many of you men have a daughter? If you have a daughter, just raise your hand. All right? Let me tell you something. When your daughter looks at you and says, Dad, don't judge me, you look at her and say, Girl, I've been judging everything in your life since you were born. That's my job. And I'm going to judge the men that you go and start dating. I'm going to look them up and down. I'm going to want to know everything about them. And if they don't love God, you don't have my approval to date them. So obviously, what do we know? Rahab would not have loved God. She would not have loved the one true God. She would not have known who this one true God was. Instead, she would have been a pagan. She would have been someone who was an idol worshiper. The Canaanite people, that's who they were. They were idolatrous people. They had a curse upon them. How in the world is this woman there? How did she make it into the Bible? How does God then recognize such a pagan person and put them into the halls of faith? Well, it's really not as hard as you think. How could a Canaanite like Rahab, the harlot, be included in the lineage of Jesus Christ? How could this happen? Well... It's really not that hard. Let's look at Hebrews 11.30 and James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. First of all, while you're turning there, I'm going to read a few extra things, if that's okay with you guys. I'm sure you all don't mind me doing that. Hebrews 11.30, and we'll actually read verses 30 and 31. It says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Y'all remember how that happened? We're going to go back later. We'll preach on it again eventually. But if you recall, they were told to march around the city of Jericho once they crossed the Jordan. Uh, they were to march around it. And then on the seventh day, they were to march around and break some pots, blow some trumpets. And what was going to happen? And the walls came tumbling down. There you go. Anybody remember that song? Yeah. Anybody want to sing it? What? You don't want to sing this morning? I've never seen with such a look on your face. Like, don't you dare get me to sing. <laughs> well, you'd sing with your dad, right? No? You wouldn't either? Okay. Well, I won't make you sing this morning. But Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. And the walls came uh, tumbling down. Seven times around, the seventh day... Uh, they did everything they were supposed to do. The walls come down, right? Well, then it says, by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. By faith, the Bible says. This is an important word for us. If we're going to make it into the halls of faith, we have to have faith. And so the Bible speaks here that a harlot known as Rahab had faith and she did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Something happened. Something proved her faith. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by what? Faith. You want to know what it is to live? You want to know how to walk? You have to live and walk by faith. You say, well, I believe in God. I didn't ask you if you believed in God. The Bible says that the demons believe in God and shudder. 
There's lots of people that believe in God. Let me tell you something. Satan himself knows that there is a God. But he's not saved. Judas, oh my gracious. Judas walked and talked with Christ himself. He saw all the miracles. He saw all the the lame walk, the deaf hear, the blind see, the dead raised. And yet Judas himself never had faith. He had religion. He had knowledge. But he had no faith. Rahab had faith. That's how she was made just. Hebrews 10, 38 through 11, 3, it says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has what? No pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, But of those who believe to the saving of the soul by faith, we understand this. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the works, I mean, that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are what? Visible. How did God create the world again? Somebody tell me. He spoke it into existence. He spoke it into existence. Folks, it takes faith to believe this. And I put all that I have into trusting that God is the one that we're speaking of here in Hebrews. The very God that I serve, the very God that I trust, the very God that I hope in is the very God who has given me hope, given me life, and he has justified me. Even though I'm a wicked, horrible person, I have been justified before God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I have been made right and been made whole. All of this talks about faith. We've heard about faith, faith, faith. A lot of people say, well, I have faith. I should not have to look at you and ask you if you have faith. You hear me? I should not have to ask, do you have faith? If I walk into a church and I, I step into that church, and, and I'm wondering. And I have to start looking around. I wonder if these people have faith. I wonder if they have faith. I ought to be able to look at the people of this church. I ought to be able to get in and read, if, if, if we weren't in COVID, I would be able to get in and, and read a bulletin, right? I can't wait till we get bulletins again. Y'all like bulletins? Half of y'all get them and chunk them. You know, some of y'all keep them, though, don't you? You like, you like to keep with what's going on. You get that old bulletin out and you start looking at all the activities that they're doing, what they're doing out in the community. You can tell a church living by faith versus a church that does nothing. So if I have to ask you, do you have faith, and I'm in your church, that might be a testimony against you that you don't have faith. You say, well, Brother Tom, what are you talking about? James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. It says, what does it profit, my brethren? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Folks, when you walk into a church... You ought to be able to see that they have faith by how they live, by how they, they, they do things, how they work in the community, how they push their people out the door to go out and to evangelize. 
a church should live by faith. There should be works happening within the church. So are the works what saved me? No, faith saves me and faith then moves me to do the work. But if a person tells you they have faith but have zero works to back up their faith, I got news for you, that's not real faith. You say, well, how do we know this? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 18 says, or verse 17 says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. How many of you have a job? You work outside the home, right? Let me ask you this question. If I were to walk into your business and you didn't know I was there, if I was able to sneak in like a little chubby ninja, you had no clue that I was anywhere around you. Y'all liked that part, didn't you? Because you understand the chubby part, right? The ninja part, I'm not very good at. But if I was, I'd sneak in and you wouldn't know it. Would I be able to listen to your mouth? Would I be able to pay attention to how you live? Around your co-workers and know that you have faith. There are some in our church who I will tell you, I know they have faith. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I will meet a co-worker of theirs. I will meet somebody that they do business with on a regular basis. And they will say, I understand so-and-so goes to your church. Absolutely. And they'll tell me, we ask that man or that woman to pray for us all the time. Because we know beyond a shadow of a doubt they have faith. If you have faith, people ought to talk about it. If you have faith, you've got people that love you and people that hate you. It's just the way it works. And those that hate you will love you when they need you. You ever notice that about people? The very people that ignore you the most because you have faith, when they're in trouble, where do they go? They come running to you. They come running to you. Would you pray for me? And you know what you need to do next time? Nope. Why would I pray for you? You obviously only want it when you're hurting. You obviously only want it when things are going bad. Why don't I help you better than that? Why don't I do something better for you? Instead of me praying for you, why don't you pray for yourself? Why don't you personally cry out to God and confess to him that you can't handle life on your own? How about you look to God for yourself? I can pray for you till I'm blue in the face. I can pray for you till I run out of breath. But if you do not seek God on your own. You see, I'm not God. You need to figure this out as well. You need to fall on your knees before the holy God and begin to seek God for yourself. You're saying, brother, time you tell me I shouldn't pray for people. That's not what I said. But I'm telling you, you can't just be the only person praying for them. They've got to learn To go before God themselves. I hear it all the time from people. Pray for me. Pray for me. Where's your faith? My faith cannot save you. Did you know that? My faith is what got me to where I'm at. God has given me that measure of faith. I have used it. I have... have, put it into practice, 
I would pray that if people were to give a testimony about me, they would know that I have faith. Now, the past few months, maybe not. COVID has me going crazy. A lot of y'all going crazy. Whether you believe it or not, I believe. I know it's real, but I'm not real sure that they should have all the restrictions that they have. This stuff is crazy. This stuff is insane, and it's driving poor people in the nursing homes. Absolutely. That's who I pity the most. A lot of these people are having to die alone. So this, this whole time, I've been just all crazy and messed up. And, and finally, God began to deal with my heart and say, Tom, where's your faith? Quit living in fear. It's not fear of COVID that I've been fearing. It's, it's the fear of, of a dying church. Folks, when you have to separate your people, it's like trying sometimes to pastor two sets of people. Because people ask me, how's so-and-so? Well, they're in the other service. Makes it tough. So we do all these things for safety measures, all these things for different things. But I'm telling you, I would hope that somebody would be able to say about me, our pastor lives by faith. These past three months have been tough, four months, five months, however long. They've been tough. I imagine a lot of you have found it tough. Verse 19 says, you believe that there's, a God, there's one God, you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. But, you, but do you uh, want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And then he goes on and he starts giving evidence of this. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Can you imagine God looking at you? Mike, let's just say that God told you, you're, you're, you're in the Old Testament, you're having to figure out how this is going to work. And he tells you to take little man here and, and go sacrifice him. That'd be a tough. Not if it's a bad day, he says. Wow. <laughs> Maybe not a good example. Let's move over here. <laughs> that is awesome. That's awesome. All right. Some of y'all be like, if you ask me to kill my husband, I'm telling you right now, I got I'd offer him up in a heartbeat. Um, reality of it is, it would be a tough thing because here we are. What was it about Abraham that caused him to do it? Folks, it wasn't that he was mad at his son. It wasn't that he didn't love his son. It was that he loved God more than he loved his child. God told him to go do something, and what did he do? He went through the process to kill his son. So let me read this to you, and let me, let me, let's catch what he says. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Folks, it wasn't until he carried through to kill his son that he was truly justified. You come to me and you shake my hand, you pray this prayer, and then I baptize you, and you think that's it. That's not how it works. Where's, where are the works? Where are the proofs of what you've done? The Bible calls them fruits. Where are the fruits? Until Abraham raised the knife to kill his son, there was no proof of faith. You see, he went through all the ceremonial things. He gathered the wood. Built the fire. Bound his son. Those are the religious things that he did. He did all the religious things. That's what they had to do to an animal in order to sacrifice it properly. All the right religious things. But until he actually went with the knife and raised it up to bring it back down, there was no true works, no true faith. So you come to church. 
You sing the songs. You pray the prayers. You look the part. But when you leave here, when you leave here and you go to work and you use God's name in vain, you leave here and you go to to life out there and you, you ignore those that are hurting around you. What that tells us is that your faith is dead. Your faith is dead. Dead faith leads a Baptist to hell, a Methodist to hell, a Church of Christ to hell, an apostolic to hell. Dead faith. Folks, being in church does not save you. It's being the church. That's faith. Verse 24 says, You see then that a man is justified but works not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without what? Works is dead also. I'll have couples come and they'll sit down with me because their marriage is struggling. And as long as their marriage is struggling, they're in church. Once the marriage gets good, what happens? A lot of times they do what? Out the door. They're gone. They're gone. But I always tell people, they'll say, well, when so, what happened to so-and-so? I said, they'll be back. What do you mean they'll be back? Oh, trust me, they'll be back. Sure enough, as soon as everything, what, falls apart, where do we find people again? Back in church. It's not just marriages, people. It's, it's, it's individuals who the only time they seek God is when things are bad. True faith, God is the focus 24-7, right? True faith. This took Rahab. She had to have faith. How can we be adopted into the family of God? How does this work for us? How can we come to that place of saying, I want to be included in the family of God. I want my name mentioned. I may never be mentioned in the halls of faith. That's fine with me, but I want to make sure that I am with God. Well, it's really uh, not as hard as we think it is. You remember on the day of Pentecost, Peter was preaching to a whole bunch of religious people. They all had heard. They knew the, about Jesus. It had just quickly ha- had happened. Uh, Christ has only been uh, ascended into to heaven for a very short amount of time. So the, resu- the, the death and the burial and the resurrection were all fresh. The life of Christ was very fresh on everybody. And Peter gets up and he tells the Jews, you're the one who killed him. You're the people that did it. And their hearts were broken. And 3,000 people came to Christ that day. Is that not awesome? But here's the thing about Peter. He was preaching to people who already had an understanding. He was preaching to people who had a foundation, a religious background. That's not who we preach to anymore. That's not who we preach to anymore. 
we preach to a group of people like Paul preached to in Acts 17. He preached to a bunch of Greeks who had no clue. They wouldn't have known the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. They would not have been trained in this. Instead, they would have been more like the Canaanites. They would have had many gods and all these different things. And so in Acts 17, we find Paul on Mars Hill and where they've got this image of an unknown God, correct? They wanted to make sure they had all the gods covered, including the one they may not have known. So let's give an image to the unknown God. And Paul began to preach. Paul began to teach. And he began to share about who God was. Acts 17, verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens... I perceive that in all things you are very religious. I can say the same thing to a lot of churches. You're very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it since he is Lord of heavens and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands. Aren't you thankful for that? Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings. Let me just hit you with this. This has nothing to do with the sermon today. But folks, quit looking at people as color. God took care of that right here. He says, I made nations out of what? One blood. We're all one blood and one race. And if you can't deal with that, you do not know who you serve. That would get rid of all the racism in the world if the church could just understand we're all one blood, one race. Verse 27 says, So that they should seek the Lord and in hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or some something uh, shaped, uh, stone, excuse me, something shaped by, by art and man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. A lot of us are sitting there saying, you know what, we just need to give people Jesus. Folks, believe it or not, most people don't know who Jesus is anymore. Like we have left the 70s. In the 70s, I give you, when I was a child, I'm telling you, most everyone that I knew, even in school where we still prayed in 1977 when I was first in kindergarten. We still prayed. We prayed through my elementary days. People knew who God was. Most of my friends went to church. 
Most of us did not get to do things on Wednesday night because we went to church on Wednesday night. We didn't have football practice, band practice, debate practice. We didn't have those things. Why? Because Wednesday was the middle of the week and we needed God in the middle of the week. And some of us are stuck with our evangelism like we still live in the 70s. Folks, I've got news for you. We don't live where everybody knows God anymore. People do not know who Jesus Christ is. Most people believe this about Jesus, that he did exist. He was a good man, a good prophet, but he was not God's son. That's the idea that the world has about Jesus. Even atheists do not deny that Jesus was real. They just believed that he was a religious fanatic who died and was no more. That's what they believe. They don't doubt his death. They don't doubt his burial. But they certainly do not believe his what? Resurrection. We have got to go back to where we're teaching people the basics of creation. The basics of who God is. Genesis 1.1. You say, well, everybody knows that verse. No, they don't. Folks, your public schools teach that we have been here for billions of years. Y'all notice, though, if you you keep up with things, the billions are getting smaller and smaller because the more science tells us, they realize, well, we haven't been here as long as we thought. Duh. We've been here a little over 6,000 years. I have no issue with that whatsoever. Why? Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how many days did it take him to do that, by the way? Six. And on the seventh day, he did what? He rested. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Who created us? God did. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. You say, Brother Tom, I should not have to go and tell people who God is. They already know. Folks, I'm telling you, quit living in a lie. The majority of America has no clue who God is. And they have no idea who Jesus Christ is. I hear people tell them all the time, just tell them about Jesus. They don't even know who Jesus is. They have no clue. Let me share this with you. This part... Is part of the dying church. You may tell you why I'm worried, why I'm concerned, what bothers me. We're in a dying church. Pine Island Baptist is dying. We have not had salvation in a while we have not had the baptistry waters full for a very long time my friend unless you're bringing in new life you're dying let me share some statistics with you that'll blow your mind I don't know if you can see them or not hopefully you can but I'm going to read a few to you this was done back in 2014 Now, I don't know if you pay attention to the way things are, but things aren't getting better, correct? Things are getting worse. 
In 2014, the Southern Baptist Convention, for the ages from 18 to 29, 18 to 29-year-olds, 13% of the church was made up. You know what that means? That younger than that would be what? Less than that. But I want you to also pay attention to the Jehovah's Witness. 15%. Unitarian. Oh my gracious. You're talking about a bunch of atheists having church. It's just a sad, sad group of people. I've had to go to funerals at these places. It would blow your mind what they preach, what they allow in their pulpits. Unitarian, Universal, 17%. Catholic, 17%. Churches of Christ, 20%. Churches of God in Christ, 23%. Seventh-day Adventist, 28%. Mormon. The Mormons have us beat. 22%. Buddhist, 34%. Muslim, 44%. Hindu, 34%. United Methodist, 9%. Lutheran, 10%. Episcopal, 9%. Assemblies of God, 14%. You catch what's happening? Buddhist, Hindus, Mormons, Muslims do a better job evangelizing than Christians do. The Bible says that the fields are white, are ripe unto harvest. They're ready to go. You know what the problem is? What else does the Bible say? The workers are few. Can I share with you what that means? The majority of Baptist churches are dying because their faith is dead. When was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? When was the last time you shared with them the truth about creation? When was the last time you sat down with a teenager and said, you just got to love Jesus? That kid doesn't know who Jesus is. He's been taught in the public school that he evolved from some explosion that happened billions and billions of years ago. We've got to go back and let people know who God is, what he has done, why we need him, and why he sent his son. And when we give the whole of the gospel, people will come to Christ. It's not that people don't want to listen. It's that people aren't telling. Churches are dying because their churches are silent. And silent churches have a dead faith. Folks, I've buried many a Baptist deacon who I'm afraid I will never see again. If you're a church leader in this church, whether it's Sunday school, deacon, you're on some sort of committee, I'm telling you, You should be the people that your faith is very evident. 
you should be sharing the gospel. It breaks my heart to know that we are living in a day that Pine Island would be considered a good place to come. Got people there. Things are going on during COVID. But the reality of it is Pine Island is dying because we have not seen any new souls come to Christ. And if we keep it up at the pace that we're going, within 20 years, Pine Island will be down to about 10 people. You say, Brother Tom, there are going to be people get mad at other churches and they'll come. That's not growth, people. Growth is when we as a church do the job that God called us to do. Give the whole gospel. I challenge you. I challenge you. Stand up and share your faith. People are dying. And the influence that we have over this country as a nation, the influence that we have as from a church's perspective is getting smaller and smaller and smaller because the church is not doing her job. Father, we thank you that you love us. But God, we also have to recognize that faith that is alive is a faith that is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And Father, we have way too much going on in our lives. We're so wrapped up in ourselves. We make sure that our children are at ball practice or band practice or debate or 4-H and FFA, whatever. We make sure that they're at all those events. And if we have time left over, we'll go to church. We see the neighbor over here. They're not doing well. They're having issues. But we don't take the gospel to the neighbor. Instead, we talk about all their issues. If they would do this, they could fix it. If they would do that. The truth is, if we would just take them the gospel, they could find hope and freedom. Lord God, may we be a living, growing, thriving church instead of a dying church. And I'm not trying to be the mean person but the reality of it is father if we're not bringing people in then we're not doing our job god may we be the light to a dark and dying world we pray this in jesus precious and holy name amen